My name is Brian, and I'm the lead pastor at Grand Valley Church. We hope that this message helps you explore faith and connect with Jesus. Today we are continuing our series called Talking Points, the perfect blend of politics and religion. And this series is based on a series that was done a while ago by a pastor by the name of Andy Stanley. And so big thank you to Andy for letting us kind of take his series that he preached in the U.S., and importing it across the border and being able to kind of tailor it for us up here in Canada. Now, politics, sorry, Talking Points is a series about politics because politics is a topic that intersects with the teachings of Jesus. And it might get you a little uncomfortable to talk about politics in church. Believe me, it makes me a little bit uncomfortable to talk about it. But one of my beliefs is that the church should be the safest place to talk about anything, including politics. Because let's face it, we're going to talk about politics. Even though we try to ignore it, we may try to dismiss it, we're going to talk about politics in our homes, with our friends, with our family. So why not talk about it here? And last week, we started by talking about this question. Are we willing to put our faith filters ahead of our political filters? Are we willing to put our faith first? Because this leads to something that Jesus taught about. In fact, Jesus prayed about specifically for us today. On the last night that Jesus had with his disciples, he went to the garden, to the Mount of Olives, and he prayed. And Jesus prayed for everyone that would believe in him through the message of his followers. And if you're watching this today, maybe you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, that's you. Maybe you're just curious and checking out. Well, Jesus was still praying for you as well, even as you're just checking out and exploring this. Because Jesus was talking about wanting his followers to be united, to not let anything get in the way and not let anything divide us. And politics is something that will attempt to divide us. And so really, when it comes to this series, when it comes to this blend of politics and religion, the main question we're getting at is this one. Are we willing to follow Jesus even when doing so creates space between us and our parties? platform, and candidate? Are we willing to put our faith first, even if that means that it's going to make some distance between us and the political party that we feel we align with? Because ultimately, what we can do better, what we can do to prevent ourselves from being divided is we can disagree politically, we can love unconditionally, and just like Jesus did, we can pray for unity. And so today we're going to talk about what happens with that first line. How do we know what we can disagree about and how do we work that out? Because one of the things that's interesting about the Gospels is if you look at the interactions that Jesus had with people, in the first century, people were always trying to get Jesus to choose sides. There was different groups at play. There was much like we have different political parties today. There were the religious leaders, there were the Pharisees, the Sadducees, And then there was a couple groups that that don't get named, but we know were active during that time. There were the Essenes. They were kind of removed from Jerusalem, but there's still times when they interacted. And then there's also a group that were known as the Zealots. And the Zealots were quite often, you know, we would almost describe them as terrorists today. They were trying to overthrow Rome by any means necessary. And in fact, it says that one of Jesus' disciples identified as a Zealot, as one of these Jewish Zealots. And so at all times in the Gospels, 
people are coming to Jesus and they're asking him, well, is it A or is it B? And what they're trying to do is ask him to choose sides. Are you for us or against us? They didn't say it in exactly those terms, but that's what they were trying to do. Now, when Jesus was asked these questions, often his response was, well, no, it's actually C. It's not A or B, it's C, because Jesus didn't come to choose sides. But what I find really interesting is when you choose to interpret the words of Jesus through your political filter, it's amazing how often Jesus will agree with you. In fact, if you read scripture through a political filter, you can make Jesus vote for the conservatives, for the liberals, for the NDPs, for the Greens, vote independent. You could make Jesus vote for any of them if you put your political filter first. Because Jesus didn't come to take sides. Jesus came to introduce the kingdom of God. Jesus came to introduce a new understanding of the world, a new way of seeing how the world is, and especially a new path to understand our relationship with God and our path to salvation. Because that's what Jesus came to do, was to introduce this kingdom of God. But no party, no political party that I've ever encountered, 100% represents the kingdom of God. In fact, I believe that every single political party has a degree of disunity with what Jesus came to do, some greater, some less. But no political party is perfectly aligned with the kingdom of God. Now, I believe that that means it is foolish to allow the church to be divided by political parties. That just doesn't make sense. So what do we do with that? How do we disagree when we have different political views? Because I'm not saying that we shouldn't have political views or we shouldn't be politically active. In fact, we should. But we need to have our faith filters happen first. So how do we do that? And fortunately, in Scripture, there is a template that we can follow. And to find this template, we're going to go almost 20 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. And we're going to start with a guy named Paul. And Paul was an early apostle in the church. He was a church planter. He wrote most of our New Testament. But Paul wasn't always a Jesus follower. In fact, he started off as one of those Pharisees, as one of those people. He belonged to the group of people that were trying to make Jesus take sides. And then Paul had a radical encounter with Jesus, and it changed his entire life. He went from persecuting Christians to planting churches. And Paul talks about something in his letters to the churches. And we're going to find this up here first in his first letter he wrote to the church of Corinth. And Paul uses this phrase. He talks about the law of Christ. And Paul is using this phrase as shorthand to mean something else. He's using this as kind of an indicator to a bigger concept. And what he's talking about when he says the law of Christ is he's talking about the new covenant command that Jesus gave to the disciples at the Last Supper when he was with his closest friends trying to summarize everything he had done over the last three years. Jesus told his disciples this. He said, So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. This is what Jesus says. That's it. That's the main big picture. He says this is the foundation of the new covenant that Jesus is making with humanity. And so 
That's what Paul's talking about when he refers to the law of Christ. He's talking about this new covenant that Jesus made. And if you actually want to learn more about that new covenant, if you go back in our YouTube history and you grab the message from Easter this year, Easter 2020, we talked all about this new covenant and what it means. And so when Paul talks about this law of Christ, we find this in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19. He says, even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. Now, don't let that word slave trip us up. What Paul is talking about here is he says, you know, I am a free man in Christ. I am a free man before God, but I am choosing to become a servant, like a slave to all people so that I can bring them to Christ. And then he says, when I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, that means the the Torah law, he says, I too live apart from the Torah law so that I can bring them to Christ. And this was a big conflict in the early church was whether or not early Christians should have to follow the Jewish Torah law. And Paul firmly said, no, we shouldn't have to. And so he's saying, when I'm with the Gentiles who are not under the Torah law, I don't follow the Torah law so that I can bring them to Christ. And then he adds on and he says this, but I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. And so he's saying, I'm not ignoring God's law. And Torah is just one set of God's law, but he's saying this law of Christ is what supersedes. It's the big picture. It's what needs to be followed. It's the critical part. And then Paul brings this up again in the letter he writes to the churches of Galatia. He says, share each other's burdens and in this way, obey the law of Christ. So he says, when we share one another's burdens, when we walk with each other through difficult times, when we help each other, when we provide care for one another, when we show love to each other, we are obeying this law of Christ. It means we are living in the new covenant that Jesus has created with humanity. That's what we are living in. Now, the cool part about this is this shorthand for loving one another, for recognizing the new covenant towards being focused towards the new kingdom that God is creating here on earth. We are no longer bound by the Torah law, but those of us who say we are followers of Jesus, we are bound to this law of Christ. We are bound to this new covenant, not the old covenant. And that's what Paul keeps talking about in the letter to to Corinthians, this letter to Galatians. This is what he's getting at. Now, this law of Christ is so important for understanding how we remain united because of what the law of Christ provides us with. The law of Christ provides us with an informed collective conscience. What that means is our morality, our ethics, our ability to determine right from wrong is based upon the law of Christ, is based upon the command to love one another just as Jesus has loved us that is based on this command to be working with God, to be his partners and co-laborers in creating the kingdom of God. Not an earthly kingdom, but a heavenly kingdom here on the earth. This is what the law of Christ provides for us. And this informed collective consciousness means that as we look at whatever's happening around us, we are informed by the law of Christ in the decisions and the choices that we make together. Now, what's fascinating about this is that this knowing the difference between right and wrong does change over time. 
as we learn more about who Jesus is, as we learn more about what his teachings are and how to live them out, what it means to fully live in this law of Christ, it will change our opinions and decisions about things. It will cause personal growth and transformation to happen. Now, one of the examples of this, and I'm going to dig back into history about this, because at one time in history, there were things that were self-evident. In fact, there's things that are self-evident today, but at one time in history, there was something that was so self-evident, everyone believed it to be true. It didn't matter what your religious background was, what your beliefs were, everyone believed this to be true. And this thing that I'm talking about is something that Aristotle, one of the Greek philosophers, wrote about in about 350 BCE. Here's what he said. For that some should rule and others be ruled is a thing not only necessary, but expedient. From the hour of their birth, some are marked out for subjugation, others for rule. What Aristotle is talking about is slavery. In 350 BC, and in fact, a long time period before that, and even a long time after that, it was believed to be self-evident that some people were just destined to be slaves, and some people were destined to be slave owners. Slavery was the norm, and in fact, that is the backdrop of the culture during the first century. But Jesus taught things, and Jesus said things, and the early church practiced things that started to chip away at this self-evident reality. And if we jump ahead, only a few centuries, uh, an early bishop in the church, St. Augustine of Hippo, writes this very bluntly, very clearly. He says, it is with justice we believe that the condition of slavery is the result of sin. What he's saying is that slavery is not part of God's kingdom. Slavery is not part of God's design. And even now, 1,600 years later, we have not solved slavery. In fact, uh, current estimates say there's still about 40 million people in slavery around the world. So we still have work to do. But we know now it is self-evident that slavery is wrong because our conscience has been informed by the law of Christ. And the church has been at the center of the abolitionist movement for many, many centuries. And that is a good thing. That is the way that the law of Christ and our informed conscience changes what we see and what we understand. And so our template has these two things at the beginning. And now let's look at the last piece of this template. So after the law of Christ, after having an informed conscience, the last piece of this template is knowledge and wisdom. And we've talked a lot about knowledge and wisdom this year in the last series that we did called The Truth is Out There. And then even the earlier series we've done about how to read the Bible, and it even came up in our Simply Kingdom series, that wisdom and knowledge are important. That as we learn more about this law of Christ, as we let our conscience be guided by the Spirit, as we learn the opportunities and we learn the reality of what's happening and as we learn more about the world around us, it shapes how we understand things. Now, these three things, the law of Christ, having an informed conscience, knowledge and wisdom, these are the things that can inform our decisions about things like policy, platforms, and legislation. Now, this is what should shape our political views. That template of the law of Christ, informed conscience, and knowledge and wisdom. Now, we will always have disagreements 
even among Christians, when it comes to policy platforms and legislations. We will have difference of opinion in how we should enact policy platforms and legislation in order to achieve the things that are good for the world, in order to achieve the things that we are driven to by the law of Christ, this commandment to love one another. Now, we all have work to do. We are all going to have these disagreements, and we have to work on those disagreements. But one of the things we have to recognize And this is a quote that comes from a guy named Rufus Miles, who was a government administrator and author. He worked in the U.S. Department of Education for a long time, and then he wrote books about his experience afterwards. And he said this that is kind of known today as called Miles' Law. And Miles' Law states that where you stand depends on where you sit. Where you stand on policy, processes, procedure, legislation, platforms, depends on where you sit. And let me unpack that a little. What he's saying is that our cultural context, where we sit, determines our perspective, which is where we stand. Our context shapes the positions we take, shapes our view on things. And this is the reality that we sometimes don't understand or don't recognize about ourselves, is that our political views and values are shaped. They are shaped by things that are beyond our control. In fact, some of the things that shape our political views are things like where we live, how we were raised, where we were educated, if we were educated. And then our views also get shaped by things like what we've been told, what we've seen, what we've experienced, what we've seen others experience. All of these things will shape the way that we see politics the way we see parties, the way we see platforms, the way we see legislation, these are the things that shape how we vote. Now remember, where you stand depends on where you sit. Where you stand on political issues depends on all these things that, to be honest, we don't have control over. We don't have control over where we were born and the type of family we were born into. You know, we have some control over our education, what we choose to do, what we choose to pursue, what we choose to read, what we choose to study. But we also tend to study the things that only confirm what we already believe. And so in that way, we tend to drive ourselves further into our own viewpoints. See, where we stand depends on where we sit. So how do we broaden that? What do we do? What do we do when we recognize that our political views have been shaped by circumstance more than the law of Christ? Well, here's the first thing that I think we can do. The first thing we can do is that we can listen to people who don't experience the world the way that you do. I can choose to listen to people who have had experiences that are vastly different than my own. And I'm not just talking about haves and have-nots or followers of Jesus and people who don't know Jesus. I'm actually talking about listening to people whose experiences will be profoundly different than you. You know, I was born and raised here in Canada. So listening to the stories of immigrants, listening to the stories of First Nations people, listening to the stories of people who are older than me, who are younger than me, people who are black, people who are white, people who are indigenous, people of color, They all have stories and experiences of the world that are vastly different than mine. In fact, listening to people who are gay, who are people who are part of the LGBT communities, 
we don't, we, if I'm not part of those communities, I don't know how to see and experience the world they do. Now, I'm not saying I will agree with all of their viewpoints, but to believe that everyone experiences the world the way that I do is ignorance of the highest level. To say everyone must see things the way I do is just pure ignorance. And so to get out of that, we need to listen to people who don't experience the world the way we do. Listen to people who have experiences that are vastly different than ours, because that will expand our cultural context. That will give us a viewpoint of how the things that we want to vote on, the things like politics, the things like platforms, the things like legislation, how those will affect the people around us. And then we have to ask this question, is my vote acting out the law of Christ? Are my faith filters engaged before my cultural, political filters? So secondly, after we listen to people who are different than we are, can we learn? Can we be a student and not just a critic? This means actually learning and diving in, being curious about things, not giving into fear and just feeling like everything, everything unknown is something to be worried about. But let curiosity engage the conversations. And the simple way to do this is if you meet with someone, if you're having a coffee, maybe your coworker, ask more questions than you give answers. And don't feel the need to respond or re have a rebuttal to everything they say. Just listen and learn. Because everyone is taking a stand from where they sit. So if we can learn where people sit, learn what their cultural contexts are, we can understand why they take the stands they do. And lastly, the third one, you're going to hear me say this time and time again, but love. The you who votes differently than you is more precious to God than your view. Let me say that again. The you who votes differently than you, you know, that person who they voted blue or they voted red, they voted orange, they voted green, they voted independent, they voted differently than you did. We need to recognize that they are more precious to God than my political view. Paul talks about this. He says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. Those of us who, let's be honest, if we lived in the first century, we probably would have sided with the religious leaders. We probably would have sided with the Pharisees, the Sadducees. But Jesus still died for them. Jesus still died for a guy like Paul who was persecuting the church. And when Paul encountered Jesus, his life was changed. Now, there's something very important in that. Paul was highly educated. Paul was highly gifted in speaking. He kind of claimed that he wasn't, but the education that Paul had, he was a good orator. He was a good speaker. It wasn't an argument that changed Paul's mind on anything. It was an encounter with the risen Jesus. It was an encounter with Christ's love that changed who Paul was. So love, this law of Christ, are we loving one another? And you might be thinking that this listen, learn, love, they all start with the letter L. It's a alliteration, I'm doing the classic pastor thing, you might think that is just way too simple. Shouldn't it be more complicated than this? No. This needs to be simple. 
Because if it's simple, we can follow it. See, this might seem naive, but once upon a time, there was this group of Jesus followers who were being crushed between the empire and a temple. And so what they did is they gave to Caesar what belonged to Caesar, and they gave their lives to God because of what they believed in. And you know what they discovered? That emperor, who was the most powerful man in the world at that time, is now only a footnote in the story of a rabbi from Galilee who came and began a new covenant. See, kingdoms will come and go. Empires will rise and fall. Jesus said, I will build my ecclesia. An ecclesia means this gathering, this assembly of people gathered for a purpose. We translate that today to mean the word church. Not churches in building, not churches in service, but church as in a community of faith gathered around this purpose. And guess what? Out of the kingdoms, the empires, the temple at the time that was persecuting the early church, none of them exist anymore. But the church that Jesus came to build is still here. So, we can disagree politically. We can be guided by the law of Christ. We can be guided by an informed conscience. And we can seek and pursue wisdom and knowledge. And we can understand that our context, what we see as self-evident, will change over time. And ultimately, when we can disagree politically, we can still love unconditionally and we can still pray for unity. And so next week, we are going to wrap up Talking Points Part 3. And I hope that you'll join us next Sunday for that. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you know of someone that would benefit from hearing the message you just listened to, would you do us a favor and share this podcast with them? And while you're at it, please consider subscribing to be the first to hear when our podcast is updated. If you want to join in on Sundays, our services are streaming online at 11 a.m. Central. To find out more about our church, go to mygrandvalley.ca and you can also find us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for My Grand Valley. Thanks for listening.